you know, this is Mother's Day, and I think it's, it's just important that we recognize uh, our women, uh, our mothers and our women in general. And, I, and so I've written down a couple of things that are true for our women today, and I want to share those with you today. You know, and th these are some things that women do that are better than men. Um, generally women, the first one, generally women are cleaner than men. They bathe more, apparently. Um, uh, women interview better than men. Uh, here's one. Women survive car accidents better than men. <laughs> uh, women do not age as fast as men, thank God. Um, they graduate college more often. Women eat healthier than men. Women have stronger immune systems than men do. Women live longer than men. They're a better manager during a poor economy. So we, men, we, we might want to be looking at our women right now. And women invest better than men. As a man, if you have a house, a woman makes it a home. That's never been more clear to me than uh, our, our uh, youngest daughter got married um, to, to a gentleman that lives up in Akron. It was great. The guy was in his mid-20s and he already owned a house. And you're thinking, great, my daughter's marrying somebody that's got a house. He's solid. He's grounded. And so we had an opportunity before they got married to go up and visit the house. And I looked at the house and I'm like, like it was a house. And that's what it was. It was a house. On, 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 on the wall in his living room, he had a neon metal American flag. And I'm sitting there looking at that, and, I, and I'm like, like, I'm patriotic as they can be, but I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, I, t I reached over and I told Patty, I'm like, when Rachel gets here, that's, that's going to be gone. <laughs> and it was. And, and, and it's, it's, been, it's been neat. Um, just seeing how she has added to him and uh, has made that house a home. You give a woman a name, and she gives you a family. Women help to multiply things. In Genesis 2.18, God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Proverbs 18.22 says, The man who finds a... Who, who finds a wife, finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Psalm 139.13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how I know it. And finally, um, the text that we'll be, uh, be sharing today about is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are to the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in your house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out, of, out for all to see so that everyone 
will praise your heavenly Father. Um, it, it, it's been funny that this week, uh, um, Pastor, uh, we were talking about the message uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, Pastor called me and, and, and asked if we'd be interested in, or he sent me a, a, an email asking me if we'd be interested in doing the message today because Aaron graduating from Ohio State, and he, he, he wanted to be there for that. And uh, I talked with Patty about it and, and talked about doing a, a uh, uh, just just a, a team, a couple's teaching, a team teaching, and, and it's been amazing. She she reluctantly agreed to that. She, you know, it's, it, my wife is usually very comfortable, you know, talking in, in front of people, and I'm the one that is not. That that is not who I am. That is not uh, um, where I find my comfort, and, and she seems to, and and she's been a little bit more nervous about this than I've been, and uh, I'm a, this. Last week, I was a little sick, low under the weather, and I wasn't feeling well for a day or two. And, uh, oh, about, about a week or so ago, I kissed my wife. And I couldn't resist. I, I kissed my wife. <laughs> and uh, a couple days later, she had absolutely no voice at all. And, 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 so, and so we've been talking about this and talking about this and thinking it's going to get better, it's going to get better, it keeps getting worse, keeps getting worse. And, uh, and finally, you know, yesterday we, we, we were talking about this and I said, yeah, give me your notes, I'll, I'll do the best that I can. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll try to, try to, to go over them and, and give the message the best I can. And, and uh, she, said, uh, she said, well, um, uh, tomorrow we'll see. If I wake up with a voice tomorrow, um, then, then I'll, I'll go ahead and we'll go through and, 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 and she'll speak today. And it was funny because uh, she woke up in the morning and I was praying that she'd have her voice back, trust me. And so, uh, and so, so she woke up this morning and, 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 and she's sitting up, she's looking at me and I'm just looking at her, wait, waiting for her to say something and, and just, just waiting. And she goes, hey, uh, I don't sound too bad. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> And she goes, she goes, wow, I was kind of hoping I wouldn't feel so good. <laughs> so anyways, um, um, I, I, I believe we're going to be blessed today. We're going to uh, um, hear a word from my wife, Patty, and, uh, and then I'll be back up to, to close. So welcome her. Good morning, everybody. My voice still is a little rough. Um, it didn't sound too bad, but the more I've spoken, um, it's gotten a little rough. I've got water, I've got a cough drop, I've got tissues. Um, so I might have to take a few, a few breaks, but I hope that you can hear past um, my voice and hear the voice of God today. Um, I remember a few years ago, Mark had his phone. He's sitting at the kitchen table. He's got this real pensive glare. He's looking at his phone and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, uh, Brian asked me to preach, and, I'm, and uh, I'm getting ready to text him and just say I can't do it. Well, me, I'm, I'm, I am the supportive and loving wife, right? And so um, I said, well, you know, as, as leaders, we do hard things because we do hard things because we want other people to do hard things. We model what we expect. So if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Just kind of walked away. Okay, now. I knew exactly what I had done. I had thrown down the gauntlet. I've issued the challenge, and he was going to step up because I knew what was in him. And I knew that people would be blessed. 
Um, and he spoke for the first time that day, and it was amazing. And he's done it many times since then. And he, uh, he's a very good teacher. He's got godly wisdom. Now, whenever we did first talk about this, I was okay with it. I guess I don't need my water to hold. Um, but then as the, as the days came closer to it, I, I felt like this things were muddy. Things didn't seem real clear. Well, there was no way I was going to tell him that I didn't want to do it. Why? Because then he'd issue the challenge. And then being the person that I am, I'd have to take up the challenge and, and go with it and, and do the charge. Um, but I just kind of hinted, and he's like, do hard things, and walked off. And so, um, yeah, so that is, that is like, a, that's like the picture of our, of our marriage, each pushing the other person, right? Um, and so, as the day has um, approached, and my voice is not truly restored, um, I have prayed that no matter what I say today, that you will just hear the voice of God shining through me to all of you. Why don't I pray? Father God, I just thank you for every person today that can, that can hear my voice. Lord, I just thank you for their heart. Lord, I pray that whatever I share, Lord, is only what you want people to know. Remove me. Thank you for your faithfulness in my life. In your name I pray, amen. Um, the origin of Mother's Day dates back to the 19th century. There was a woman, her name was Anna Reeves Jarvis. She lived in West Virginia. And she, she had different things. She had Mother's Day work clubs and Mother's Friendship Day. And what she was trying to do was she was trying to create community. She brought women together. She taught them how to care for their children. Um, even post-Civil War, she was trying to uh, bring soldiers together for reconciliation. Like she was trying to build lasting relationships, skills, and just like a real community. Um, her daughter, Anna Jarvis, wanted to organize, after, after her mother had passed away, she wanted to order, organize a day to just kind of really um, value all women and mothers and just the investment they make in other people's lives. So the, the first official Mother's Day was in 1908 at a church in West Virginia. And... Um, Pretty soon, other, other cities and other towns started adopting this, and, and she lobbied, and eventually, uh, President Woodrow Wilson, in 1914, officially established the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Now, if you read more about the story, it ended up being not what she wanted. Um, she actually actively lobbied against it, because besides Christmas, Mother's Day is the only other day in the United States that you get that many gifts. She didn't want that. She wanted people to connect. She was trying to honor that connection piece. Um, and I want to talk about, like, Anna, Anna never got married. Anna never had children. You know, she was trying to create something for other people. And I, and I feel like she saw her mom doing that, right? She saw somebody else creating that. And that is like what being a light is about, right? Is about shining for others to see. You know, a, a mentor, a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, a, a godparent, if you will. And the Bible provides us many men and women in the Bible that we can look to. They point to who he is in their life. And that's what we're supposed to do to others. We're supposed to point other people to who God is and what he's done in our life. <clears throat> Excuse me. So being uh, light to others is no more than allowing God to shine you 
through you, sorry, and being available. Days like Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know, they point to your legacy. And you can have a legacy that lives past who you are, no matter what role you fill. You know, some of you are, um, have roles that you're really happy to wear, like those labels that you're really happy to wear. You walk in them, and you're really pleased with them. But, but other people, I know today is really hard, and sometimes you have a role you, you never, wanted, never wanted to put on. I know today is really, really hard. So I have prayed a lot for all of you, because this day can be a really good day, and this day can be a really hard day. But I pray that you feel just the love and the peace of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about maturing Christians and being a teacher. And sometimes we don't walk into that, right? Sometimes we don't want to mature and be a teacher because that seems very daunting. Like, who wants to be a teacher? Um, so when you think about that and you kind of break it down, you know, that is no more than just like shining a light and leading the way and pointing others to who God is instead of being a, a teacher and standing up here. Um, there are two definitions of shine that I would like to talk about. The first one is a noun. It says to have a quality of brightness. So you are putting on that brightness. You have the quality. It's part of who you are. And the other one is a verb. And that is, where's that? Sorry. Um, to direct a light somewhere to see something in the dark. So either you, are, you have that quality or you can direct the light. It's active. You are an active member of shining the way. So, and we are not a light for ourselves. We are a light for others. In the New Testament, there are, there are over 100 sayings that either are each other or one another. And about 59 of those it tells us how to interact um, or how not to interact with each other. And so things like um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage each other, build each other up. Hebrews 10.24, let us think about ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 25, encourage one another. Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens. Encouraging, sharing, loving, praying. I could go through all 59, and actually if I did, I'd be done. And I could walk back down here, which actually sounds like a better idea than what I had planned. Um, but when we are a light, we build each other up. You know, we expand his kingdom. We connect people to God and to each other. And that's our mission, right? That's our mission. Well, the Bible points us to many unlikely people that we can look to, we can learn from and identify with. I actually can identify with a lot of the people in the Bible because a lot of them, well, like all of them, as Peter Pranger said one time, they, they messed up. Like nobody besides Jesus was perfect. And I think that having people in the Bible like that, that's a gift from God. You know, that gift shows us that we're not alone. We're not the only ones. That he sees us. and He loves us. That he was with them and he's going to be with us too. Um, and there are many people that feel like they're not qualified. I'm not qualified to do that. I don't, you don't know what my life has been like. I'm not qualified. Well, God's using unqualified people. That's what he does. It's not the person that qualifies you. It's, it's the God that qualifies you. And I'd like to talk about a few of those people. 
uh, I'd like to introduce you to Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Um, Rahab lived with her family. Uh, she didn't have a husband or children at the time, and they were poor. And I just want to throw out the fact that you don't normally choose prostitution as your, as your career choice, right? Sometimes it's out of necessity. But she is identified as being the person that helped the Israelites um, defeat Jericho. And so, that's all right. I got six, but they're all big now. <laughs> Excuse me. And so... Through her actions, she demonstrated faith and allegiance to God. So whenever, so before Joshua went into battle, he sent a couple spies. Well, the spies went into her establishment, right? And so they go into her home, and she realizes they're spies, and she's like, oh my gosh, like, there's going to be a fight, right? And so she starts recounting, like, the Red Sea and what happens, and then in Joshua 2.11, she says, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So here she is. She's telling like, we're all scared. Like, we're all, we're all scared. And so she said, hey, I will help you. I'll hide you. I'll escape you. If you, I'll escape you. I think I said that right. If you, like, if you, if you save my family and I, my brothers, my mom, their children, like, if you save us, and so they struck up a deal, and the spies went back and told Joshua everything that she had said. Um, and, they were, and they were saved. They were the only family that was saved. Later on, Rahab married an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. Her son, Boaz, is the husband of Ruth. Joseph, who's the earthly father of Jesus, is her direct descendant. You know, and I, I truly believe there are no names. We're going to talk about people that don't have names in the Bible, like the woman. But this name is in the Bible for a reason. It's for a reason. Because how many people said things to her? How many people made her feel some type of way, right? Oh, there's Rahab, you know what she do. You know, and nobody would have thought her name was written in the Bible, right? <laughs> nobody, nobody would have thought that we would be talking about her today, or that in the New Testament in James 2.25, she was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away. What if she would have focused on those other voices of what she did? What if she would have focused on where she was at in life? You know, a lot of times people, well-meaning people, say things to you. I, um, I spent a lot of my life hearing about um, my inability to, to be quiet, um, not only in childhood, but adulthood. Like, I have heard, I've, I have been, my feelings have been hurt about people that have said things because I talk a lot, and I do. Um, I will admit that. But do you know that my ability to create conversation where there isn't one like, that's a gift. And that way, I can connect to people from different backgrounds, different ages in my job. I can create connection where there isn't any. So I can be hurt over what they said, or I can thank God that even though my voice sounds really rough today, <laughs> that he has given me a voice to create connection. Right? He has given me that ability. 
but maybe the barrier that you feel like you face isn't like your past or what you do, or what people say. Maybe it's just like, well, I'm, I'm too old, I'm, I'm too young. I don't have, I don't have enough knowledge. Like, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, I'd like to introduce you to Esther. So Esther was an orphan. She was raised by her uncle Mordecai. Another drink there. <clears throat> and um, scholars report that she was like 13 or 14 when she was part of the group of people that were taken to be presented in front of the king. Now, I want you to think about this. When I hear the word taken, I think about the movie, right? Liam Neeson. He got a special set of skills. Like his daughter is taken, and he's like, he's going to go find her. He's going to go find her. He's going to bring her back. And this isn't the same. You know, right? She had no say. 13 or 14 years old. She's an orphan. Like she's, they're living in exile in Persia. She, is, she, is, she has no say so. And if she's not found to be a favor with the king and picked as queen, she will be a concubine for the rest of her life. Her life is planned out for her. She has no say. Um, but she does, become, she does become queen. Now Mordecai, he learned of a plot to kill the Jews. And so he sent a message to Esther, like, we, we need your help. You're the queen. You need to help us. Esther responded out of faith. Esther 4.16 <clears throat> says, Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And although, and then, though it is against the law, if I go in to see the king, if I must die, I must die. Now, I have a spoiler alert for you. If you've never read this story, she doesn't die. She finds favor with the king. And not only were the Jews allowed to fight back, but the person that created this plot was executed. She responded in faith beyond her years, right? She stepped out of who she was. And she stepped into God's strength. And we often don't talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was like 14 or 15 when the angel came and said that she was going to have Jesus. Luke 1.8, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Her faith was beyond her years. Being unmarried and pregnant, because I was a death sentence back then. It really was. But she had more faith in who God was than into her circumstances. 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. You know, but what happens when the opposite is true? Got some gray hair, got reading glasses, which I have here I haven't needed. You know, I got a text, random text this week. You know, I was already not feeling the best. My voice is gone. And the text said, lose your mom bod. And I'm like, this random text from some company, and I'm thinking, when was mom bought a thing? I thought it was just dad bought. And so here I am, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the truth. Not feeling valued, but why don't we celebrate those seasons that we're in, right? God actively uses older people to build his kingdom. Naomi is known in the Bible for mentoring Ruth. And in fact, when they were getting ready, to, she was ready to to go back to her home country. She tried to get her daughter-in-law. She's like, no, don't come with me. You go back. But Ruth, in Ruth 1, 16 and 17, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. 
Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. What a great influence she had. What if all the older women became such a positive mentor to one younger woman? What if younger women responded in faith beyond their years? Imagine the light that would shine, right? But maybe those aren't the barriers you're thinking about. Maybe you are, maybe you're sick. <laughs> maybe you need healing, right? Maybe you're weary. Mark 5, 24 through 34 is a story that many of us have heard. It's about the woman that has been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. That's a long time to be sick, right? She had, <clears throat> she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. So she hears about Jesus. Obviously, I, I'm paraphrasing a lot of these stories. I hope you guys realize that. So she'd heard about Jesus, and she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I'm going to be healed. So she, she got behind him and just touched his robe, and the bleeding stopped. Like, she could feel it. Something had changed in her body. And now, there's a crowd. I mean, everybody's pushing around. It's like they're at... Um, winter jam or something. There's people everywhere, right? And Jesus said, who touched my robe? And his disciples were like, what are you talking about? There's people everywhere. But he kept seeking. It says he kept on looking around to see who had done it. He kept seeking. Who's, who's intentionally coming after me? Who's intentionally coming to me? The frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You know, we should know a few things about this woman. Because of her condition, she would have been um, kind of an outcast. She wouldn't have been allowed around very many people. Uh, she would have been considered unclean. Now, mind you, 12 years 12 years of trying to get well, 12 years of trying to get healed. And I just, want you to, I just want you to think about that. That weariness, right? That weariness in the waiting. That weariness, like when is it going to happen? She was alone. She was mentally, physically exhausted. She had nothing left. She did not even see herself as worthy to come up and, and talk to Jesus and touch him. She snuck up behind him. This weary, sick, and lonely woman sought Jesus. She was intentional. She focused on her faith and who he was, and not on the crowd around pushing them out. You know, there are times when, when the crowd is loud, right? Those distractions that we have are really loud. And I want to encourage you to be intentional about seeking him. One of the things that um, you know, sometimes uh, Mark and I get separated in a store, and um, one of the things that's helpful is he's super tall. But <laughs> the other thing that is, is helpful is I know his voice, right? So when, you hear, when I hear his voice, I know where he's at. And so when you know the voice and you're intentional, it's so important because then you can hear when he's speaking to you. 
Another thing I'd like to point out is when Jesus calls her out and she confesses, instead of hostility, Jesus calls her daughter. With a crowd listening on, the Son of God calls her daughter. To me, that's amazing. This unknown woman, she doesn't have a name, right? There's no name here. So I, so I see him saying, daughter, son, you are restored, you're healed. And so I think that we need to remember that our weariness shouldn't distract us from our assignment, right? He knows who you are. Don't allow those voices in the crowd to kind of drown him out. You are not disqualified. You know, you are restored. It's interesting whenever I was trying to get Mark to say that he would do this so I didn't have to do it. I started to say, I'm, there are more people qual, and then I stopped. Because God had already told me part of this was being qualified or not. And I'm like, how can I say I'm not qualified if I'm supposed to talk to other people about not being qualified? It's not me that's qualifying what I'm doing. Oh, I hate it when he's like, Patty, you're trying to use what I'm trying to teach you as an excuse to get out. She's so cute. But you know, we can't give what we don't have, right? We can't give, we can't light, give light when we haven't received light. When we have those deep, dark places that we don't let God into, you know, places nobody knows about. I'd like to tell you about another lady from the Bible. Um, in John 4, 1 through 30, we find, um, we find him traveling, Jesus, him, from Jerusalem to, to Galilee. I keep on wanting to say Gethsemane, sorry. So, and the quickest route was through Samaria. Now, until I heard Stephen Furtick say, some area, Samaria, some area. I had never really connected the two. Verse 4 actually says he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus had to. He had to travel through Samaria. Well, Jesus had sent the disciples on in to get something to eat, and he sat down beside a, a well. It was around noon and, and kind of took a rest. And, and soon a Samaritan woman came up to him. And um, I need to, you know, we always hear that um, you know, that's not the time of the day that, that a woman would go and get water. It was like the hottest part of the day. But I feel like this woman, like the other people that we've kind of read about, um, she was also a, an outcast. She, she positioned herself to not hear their whispers. You know, she positioned herself to try to stay safe. And so as they are, <clears throat> and that reminds me, like many times our own fears of what might happen, I feel like stops us from our assignment for what God wants us to do. Like, I'm going to position myself so they can't ask me. I'm going to position myself so they can't see me. I'm going to position myself so that I'm invisible. And when I'm invisible, I don't have to step into the assignment he has for me. Just about fell, that one. Um, so Jesus asked her for a drink, and she was shocked a Jewish man would talk to her. Verse 10, he states, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She replied, but sir, you don't have a rope or bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this water? You know, isn't that like us? Isn't that like us? God, Jesus wants to go to some deep area in our life. 
where we don't want him. That deep well you got, right? The, stu- the place where you hide all the stuff you don't want nobody to know about. He wants to expose his light in that spot, but we don't let him. We don't let him in. You don't have a rope or bucket, and this well is very deep. Translate to today. You don't know my pain. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what you don't know what happened six weeks ago. You don't know what happened six years ago. You don't know what happened when I was six years old. I'm gonna keep this in here. I'm gonna protect it because if you shine your light on it, I don't know what's gonna happen. Not only that, but we, we want to see his bucket, right? We want to know how he's going to fix it. God, if I give this to you, show me first how you're going to fix it. Show me first what you're going to do. Because I may not like what you do. I may not like how you fix this. It's not our choice, right? I love that. Um, Jesus then explains to her that he is living water. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And when she asks for that water, he's saying, I'm it. You'll never be thirsty. You'll never be seeking again. And she's like, I want some of that. So then he exposes the sin. All right, go get your husband. And she's like, well, actually, you know, we're not married. And he's like, that's right. And there's been other relationships. Now he brings up all the past sins. Not only is he saying about what's happening now, but he's digging deeper. He's getting into that well, right? He's bringing up all the past sins. See, Jesus was showing her that he knows it all. He knows everything she's done, and he still accepts her. All of the hidden things that you're afraid of, you will get you disqualified or rejected. Right? Jesus says, I know it. I already know it, and I'm still here. He was still there. Then Jesus tells her something he has not revealed to many people. He says, I am the Messiah. See, she allowed him to go deep into, into her sin, into the things of her past, and he shone his light into that area. And she didn't wait to gain wisdom or understanding, sanctified, sent out, called, whatever. She left her jar and ran away yelling, come see John 4, 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear this message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Her testimony, right? Her light, her legacy. We get to read about that legacy today. You know, I, um, and I, I have shared a lot of things about what, like what our light is supposed to, to be for others, but I also want to share that when you are a light for somebody, when you mentor somebody, what joy it gives you. Um, Noah Bird is a 12-year-old little boy that lives in Michigan. He is the nephew of Brian and Michelle. And um, <clears throat> many years ago, I was teaching a lot in the fourth, like, I think it was like pre-K and K, so it was around four or five years old. 
And he really struggled to come into class. And when I say really struggled, I mean he did not want to come in there. It was really hard. Noah Bird wanted to stay outside the classroom. Um, but I worked with him. We talked. Um, I built a, a rapport with him, a relationship with him. And he started coming in. That led to a relationship with his little sister, Charlotte. And I talked to them. Led to more of a relationship with Jolene. And... Um, just that connection, that connecting, seeing where there's a need and shining, right? That connection. Um, he, they moved to Michigan several years ago, and I have to tell you how sad I was. My heart was really hurt because this little guy was in my heart. He really was. And um, while they were away, the birds adopted a little boy. And now my boy that's adopted is very big, but, but that was another thing that Jolene and I could connect over that I don't know if we would have ever been able to connect over had it not been for that little, that little, uh, con that little conversation that I had. She's so cute. Um, several months ago, uh, Noah Birds was baptized. And I can't, ex I can't describe the joy that I had. He has godly parents. He has godly grandparents. He has a godly family. But I can't help but tell you that relationship, not only did I shine for him, but he was shining for me. And what joy that that gave to me. So I would just encourage you, no matter what the circumstances are in your life, I um, I can identify with a lot of the women that I spoke to today, spoke about today. The fact that I'm up here talking is not a testimony to who I am. God qualifies you. Like, if he asks you to do something, he will qualify you to do it, no, mat no matter what your past looks like. Thank you. know each of each one of us is going to leave some sort of a legacy <clears throat> and whether or not that legacy is, is good or not is dependent on on us and how we allow that light to shine through us and how we allow, allow that light to shine um, yeah. so why do you need a legacy you know we need to see who God is in the flesh we need to see that when 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 Jesus came on the, on the earth what what condition was the earth in you know the earth was uh, was who who were the religious figures they were the scribes and the pharisees and what kind of people were they you know the they, they were the religious figures they were official they knew the religious law they they were they they were what the people saw as being god in the flesh because they were, the, they were the highest religious figures. They knew, they knew of Moses. They knew of David. They knew Isaiah, I, Elijah, and Jeremiah, the prophets. They knew all about that. They were the chief religious figures. But they didn't know. They, they, they knew biblical law, but they didn't know who God really was. They were pompous and they were pious. They were prideful and they were bullies. 
They manipulated the law to justify their own sin. That's who the Pharisees were. That's who the chief religious figures are. So, so, so that is, is, is why it's so important that we are God in the flesh now so people can see who, who, who Jesus really is. People needed to see God in the flesh because they needed that fellowship, just like we need that fellowship today. Patty talked about the living water, and, and through that fellowship, through that communication, and through, through, through the church, we, we, we learn about living water. If, 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 if water is stagnant, and I've used this analogy before, maybe some of you have heard it, if water is stagnant, if I had a, had, had a, had a little cup of water, and this is what, what we considered, considered the, the, the living water, but it was water, and it was stagnant, and it wasn't moving anywhere, eventually it would become, it would become uh, not good for anything, it, it would dry up or it would evaporate or it would just become stale and old and it wouldn't even be worth drinking if it just sat there. But living water is the type of water that, that, that when it pours into my cup and my cup overflows and I pour it into somebody else's cup and, and then I pour it into your cup and you pour it into somebody else's cup, that's the way the living water flows. That's how we leave a legacy. That's how we build one another up. You know, we need a legacy in our life, and we need to be a legacy because oftentimes we need godly counsel. Life is tough. Most of us, most of us navigate get some pretty difficult areas in life. Proverbs 15:22 says, "Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success." You know, maybe if you didn't have to interact with one another, it wouldn't be so difficult. I mean, it's only when I'm around other people that things go bad, but, but, but being alone is okay for a while, but that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to, to love one another, to interact with one another, to fellowship with one another. That's the way the living water works. And finally, we need a legacy. We need to be a legacy because we need to love and we need to be loved. We need to know that we matter. And oftentimes, um, so many times we don't feel like we matter. Sometimes we don't feel like we're loved. One of the greatest needs that, that the human has is to feel loved and to feel accepted. And it's when that person starts to feel loved and starts to feel accepted that they, they start to find value in who they are, value in a person and value in, 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 in what they can offer. L loving somebody and interacting with somebody actually empowers them to move on, and that's how the legacy works. You know, for the same reason, you know, that in, in the church that we use, you know, um, gangs use this too. I was reading an article once, and it said, for the same reason young people join gangs. Young people join gangs for a variety of reasons, which can be influenced by conditions in their family, school, and neighborhood. A vulnerable child seeks love, protection, and acceptance from his or her peers. Youth who lack parental guidance and support or opportunities for positive involvement with their peers often turn to the gang to meet these needs. Once a child is lost to a gang, it is hard to get him back because the gang can literally become a surrogate family for that young person. The loyalties, love, and dedication normally found in traditional nuclear families are transferred to the gang. Members can develop intense bonds with other members and feel 
that need for protection. The, 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 the same thing that the church should be doing goes on all throughout society to pull people away from God. And so it's so important that we pull people towards God and towards Jesus and who he is by extending that love and, 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 and that care for one another. And, and, and you know, we, we talk about mentors and the important to be one. And, and I can remember when, when I became a, a Christian at about the age of, 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 of 20 years old, I went to a Bible study, and, and, and um, they were talking about God. And, and at that time, I wasn't a big believer and, and told me about, about um, asking God into my life and, and asking for forgiveness. And I became a Christian. But it wasn't until um, um, I, I, I met a young I, I met a man who... Um, was not quite as tall as me, very muscular, very, very in, in shape, one of these guys that you just really wanted to be around. And I didn't have a father at home. And, and um, you know, from when I was nine years old, my, my father was, was gone. And, and, uh, and so I didn't know what it was like to, I never grew up with a man in the house or anything like that. But, but um, he invested into my life and he showed he showed me that there was value in who I was as a person because I didn't feel like I had any value. And the truth is, um, if it was up to me, I would have never be up here in, in front of you guys talking. But, but, but he, he invested into my life, and, 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 and he helped me to understand that I had a purpose, that I had value. And there was more to being a Christian than just showing up at church on Sunday mornings, that there was a life to be, be lived. And he showed me that. And I truly believe that because of him, he has left a legacy in my life. And I've seen so many other people's lives that he left a legacy in. And my desire is that legacy that he planted in me will be planted in somebody else. And it will go on from there. And that's the calling God has for all of us. Knowing that we are loved and knowing that we matter makes all the difference in the world. I have three quick points that I want to I want to share with you on how to become a legacy of light. Number one, we need to be filled with the light. We need to have Jesus as our Savior, and we need to be plugged into that light on a on a regular. We need to be plugged into that power on a regular basis through prayer, through fellowship, and uh, and, and reading of the Word. We need to stay connected and be involved in the church, not just be a part of the church, not just showing up on Sunday, but being involved in the church. That way we stay connected to the light. And in order to be a legacy, we need to see how God sees. We need to understand his eyes and, 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 and how he sees each and every person. You know, in, at the beginning I shared Psalm 139. Um, and, and in the NIV version it says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, Fearfully and wonderfully. I used to think fearfully meant, meant scared, but I looked it up, and in the Hebrew, the word for fearfully doesn't mean scared. It means, means that all people were created with a great reverence, heartfelt interest, respect to be unique and set apart. That's what it means for each and every one of us. And we need to see other people as that. We need to see people, regardless of their economic standard, regardless of the, the, the things that come out of their mouth, regardless of, of the, the way they act, we need to see people as having value. We need to see people as God sees because every single person that has been created has been created for God's purpose. And we need to see them as that. And we need to know that they, they, have, that they matter and they have that opportunity. And lastly, 
We need to be willing and we need to be available. And that's probably the biggest, the biggest and most important is we need to be willing and be available. You know, it's, it's, uh, I believe that most of us are willing and available, um, but sometimes that's a little conditional. Our, our, our availability and, 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 and our willingness is conditional. It's conditional on to, we think, well, that's not my talent. That's not, that, that's, that's not who I am, or I don't have time for that, or I can't make time for that. And so, so our, our, our willingness and available only goes so far. It's not, a, it's not an unconditionally I'm available. And I'm not saying that we can't have talents and we can't have schedules and we can't have things that, that we do. We can't have things that are a part of us. And I'm not saying that we can't use those talents for the glory of God. But how much greater is it? And how much more do we have to rely on God when, we, when we, we're willing to step out and do what just needs to be done? We're, we're, we are very blessed in this church um, because we have a lot of people that, um, that use their talents and use their abilities for, for, um, for this church. And, uh, but but, but it, should, it should start there. It should start with everyone that's available. I can remember the day that I said, I said and th th this is true too, I said, I said, God, I'm available. I'm available for whatever you want. I am available. Just don't ever make me speak in front of anybody. I don't want to do that. And the truth is that, 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 that God's not going to take you to do something that you don't want to do, but he's going to equip you for that. And trusting that he's going to equip you with, with that helps you to be faithful and helps you to understand who God is and helps you to understand that there is so much more that God can do in your life than maybe what you think he can. He just needs us to be available.